listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and then suddenly everyone left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with people working in the grief field. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. Allison Gilbert is an Emmy Award-winning journalist and one of the most thought-provoking and influential writers on grief and resilience. She is the author of numerous books, including the groundbreaking Past and Present, Keeping Memories of Loved Ones Alive which reveals 85 practical and innovative ways to remember and celebrate the family and friends we never want to forget. Allison is also a keynote speaker and a workshop leader in the field of grief and loss. She recently became a member of the National Alliance for Grieving Children's Board of Directors. Welcome, Allison. Hey, how are you? Thank you so much for taking time to be on Grief Out Loud today. I am so excited. Thank you so much for having me. You know, in addition to this great new book, Past and Present, You've also written books on how the death of our parents can affect the way we raise our children and what it's like to be a young adult and grieving the death of both parents. These works are really rooted in your knowledge about these topics, but also your personal story of grief. Can you tell us a little bit like, what is it like to be a grieving person and then to be writing about that grief? Well, for me, it was a very natural progression. I really felt that my dual experiences, having lost my mom and my dad, as you just mentioned, really put me on this course for trying my best to use these experiences to help others going through similar journeys. Obviously, every grief journey is different. Everyone has a different relationship um, with their loved ones. But I definitely learned a thing or two along my journey and coupled that with my journalism background and my research expertise, I put those skill sets to use to then really pivot my career from being a news producer at places like CNN and MSNBC to now being a writer uh, full-time. So it really shifted kind of your own life course. Oh, 100%. And, And I would say we can never anticipate what's going to be for the better when uh, lost first occurs or how we can be empowered by our experiences or how we can drive um, momentum forward in different ways that we never could have anticipated. But that is exactly what my experiences gave birth to. It gave birth to a whole new life. And that's not to say, I don't wish my parents could be here. It's just to say they're not. And how do we move forward? knowing that reality in the best way we possibly can. What can we learn and how can we fuel our own capacity for resilience? And it sounds too like having that really conscious awareness of how these losses have affected you. sounds like it enabled you to move forward in a different, more, I don't want to use the word inspired because that's kind of a strange word to use in relation to grief, but maybe in a more directed way carrying these losses with you? Well, that's for sure, because I really came very, very intimately familiar with how short life really is and how we can't take these relationships, these bonds, these connections that we have 
for granted. And so for me, it allowed me to also look at what made me happy professionally. You know, I really like research. I really like writing. And for 20 years or so, I really loved being in a newsroom. But after my dual losses, and really there are more than just two, after my parents died, I also lost my aunt and my uncle. And it's just an avalanche of loss. What stories were I most interested in learning about? What stories, what facts, what figures, what data points was I most interested in unpacking? And really it came down to purposeful information, information that could really help others, empower others to be the most resilient they can be in the face of their own struggles. And so to me, it became a life mission and I feel happier because of it, truly. I I think it's really funny. A lot of people say, don't you get so sad writing about grief and loss and resilience? But no, uh, the answer truly is that I feel happier for it because I feel like my priorities are completely um, where they should be. Yeah, there's something so powerful about tapping so deeply into what matters most. Yes, I totally agree. I definitely agree. So Allison, before we jump into some of the specific ways that people can proactively keep memories alive, I'm wondering about situations where someone's relationship with the person who died was challenging or conflicted or, or even in some cases abusive. And for those folks, those memories might be really painful. What have you come across in situations like these? Well, I think it's actually a lot more common than you might think. I think it's very easy to fall into the trap that everyone has incredible relationship. But of course, we know that relationships are complicated. And I think the first thing to recognize is that it's okay to have a sense of relief that that person is no longer there to make you feel badly about yourself, to make you feel fear for your safety. And so it's okay to validate that things are fractured and relationships are imperfect. And so that's the first thing to do is to get rid of any sort of guilt that you should be feeling a certain way or people want you to express your feelings in a way that doesn't feel comfortable. But I would go on to the next part, which is that even though things may not have been good or perfect or anywhere near good or perfect when someone was living, I still think you can finish unfinished business. And that could be in the form of a journal. You could write a letter to the person who died. You could um, express yourself, whether it's through a walk in nature and collecting um, items that bring you solace. It could be another form of artistic expression, of course. Um, these feelings can be complicated and seeing a, a really good therapist to talk through some of these very real and oftentimes raw emotions is a really, really good idea. And I think that if we try to, and maybe this is not an immediate aftermath exercise, but in the months and years after a passing that's complicated, um, maybe we can begin to parse out some aspect of that relationship that did in fact bring you a sense of 
joy or peace? Is there one element that you can uh, hold on to, but then release the other ones? In your newest book, Past and Present, it really focuses on these really practical ways to keep the memories of those who have died present for us. What is so important about that? Why is that a, a vital piece of grief? I'm going to give you the short answer, but I'm very happy to give you a longer answer if you wish. <laughs> the short answer, and I'm sure many of the listeners who are with us right now can agree that when loss happens, so much is out of our control. We feel powerless and that really compounds um, the isolation that so many people feel when they're grieving. And the one thing that we can control for sure going forward is how we remember and how we keep the memories of our loved ones alive. We have complete control in doing that. And that's really powerful. And that really restores some of that agency that a lot of individuals and a lot of families crave after a loss. It really is the most empowering action that we can take. In fact, grief experts say that in order to move forward after a loss, you must keep memories of loved ones alive. I really love how it, it gives a little bit more understanding and nuance to the idea. Like working in the grief world, we hear like keeping the memories alive. Like, yeah, that's of course, of course, everyone's going to want to do that. But I love going behind that and saying, well, what is the actual mechanism and that idea that it does give us a sense of something we can do in the face of something we feel like we have no choice or control or agency in? Well, J. William Worden, who is one of the deans of, um, of writing about grief theory, he is the one that I would recommend everyone read his material. You know, he has concluded, and so has Terry Rando, that one must remember in order to move forward. And I feel inspired by that. But here's where I come in. I come in because the vacuum is, well, what do you do? It's one thing to say you should keep memories alive. It's a very empowering, you know, action to take. But the real question is, okay, now what? How? So let's turn to some of those specific strategies that you've come across in terms of keeping those memories alive. Well, one of my absolute favorite strategies is absolutely 100% free. <laughs> and this is the and this is the greatest tip I can ever offer, which is how we talk about our loved ones and the language that we choose to use. And let me be very, you know, very specific. So after um, my parents passed away, I got married, I had children, and my kids didn't have the opportunity to have their own relationships with their grandparents. And so for me as a mom and now as an author who writes about keeping memories alive and how that kind of fuels resilience, the real tool is about how we communicate. And what I mean by this is if I keep talking to my kids about my mom and my dad, they will really start to like, you know, their eyes will glaze over, they won't listen to me anymore. It's like kind of boring, right? 
But kids are self-centered by nature. And that's not a bad thing. I'm just saying developmentally, right? Kids, you know, the world revolves around them, right? Everything is about who they are and what their experiences are. And so what I have found is that if I start talking to my children about your grandmother and your grandfather, instead of my mom and my dad, all of a sudden, as if by magic, I'm making that relationship theirs. That is such a simple but so powerful switch to help people connect to like this person is is also my person. It's not just my mom's person or my dad's person. Yeah. They can own it for themselves. And that's a really, really powerful tool. And again, it just takes, you know, reframing and just thinking through um, if there's a story you want to share, make it about their relationship with that loved one. It really, really works. Another really good tool too, um, if we're going to keep in the theme of um, helping our children remember loved ones and grandparents and parents is uh, making the recipes that we all have come to love and enjoy even more uh, tangible. And so here's an example of that. So we all may cook certain foods that remind us of our loved ones, but perhaps you know, maybe we say, oh yeah, that's, you know, grandma's apple pie, or that was dad's favorite chicken Parmesan, or, you know, we say something very um, loving, but it's clearly very basic. And so what can we do to make those recipes even more this conduit of memory? Well, what I really think you can do is you can make it an interactive game. You know, children really do learn best when they're actually doing something, when they're performing an activity, when they're active. And so here's something that I did with my mother's um, recipe. She has this, to be honest, it's awful, this <laughs> awful um, fruit pie that she loved to make. But it was definitely something that we grew up, my, my brother and I, you know, really loving and So I have this recipe card, and when my kids were really young, I had them on two separate pieces of paper, one paper each, write down, like literally just copy over what was on the index card for so they can have a shopping list when they went to the grocery store. Of course, this sounds like make work, right? Like why have your kids copy over something just, you know, take a picture of the index card on your smartphone, go to the store, you know, and be done. But what it does is your children are then understanding for themselves what's in the recipe. They're taking ownership of what it takes to actually construct this specific, you know, this specific dish or dessert. Um, They understand so they can maybe replicate it later as they get older. Then you go to the grocery store and you do a scavenger hunt. And so I would send one kid off in one direction to get the fruit. And I would send one kid off in another direction to, let's say, get the you know, sugar or any other stuff that we needed. And then they, again, that would be then also a game, right? Oh my gosh, you know, we're shopping for Grandma Lynn's, you know, pie. And that was really, really fun. And then we would come home and then we would make it together. So I guess the bottom line is, how can you make these occasions fun, interactive? And so a child doesn't feel like they're being lectured to, but it's more seamless. Yeah, they get to create their own memory in relation to 
this memory to someone that perhaps they never even met. Exactly, exactly. And if you can get a child to, you know, safely slice, dice, saute, measure, you know, these are all things that you are together in a kitchen. You don't have your devices next to you. And then it also, it cracks open opportunity to then have a conversation about the loved one. It's such a great interactive, feel good opportunity. And you write a lot about repurposing items. And that's a huge aspect for so many people, right? Like, what do I do with all of the items that belong to this person who died? So I think for a while, and I am definitely someone who is caught up in this, I had a lot of um, trouble parting with some of my mother's, you know, clothing or her jewelry. And I had so many objects that belonged to my father um, after he passed away. And so often we hold on to items because we don't know what else to do with them. And it causes us pain to think about letting them go. But I think there is a wonderful middle ground, which alleviates any guilt, which um, precludes what I think for many people becomes the burden of having too much, but also allows you to derive joy of some of the objects that remain. And so let me give you an example. So after my father passed away, we had dozens and dozens of his neckties. He wore neckties, you know, to work all the time. And we just had a massive collection. Um, My brother didn't want them. My father's brother didn't want them. My uncle didn't want them. And so what were we going to do? I'm not a good quilter. I'm not a good <laughs> sewer. But um, but I knew that if I gave them to someone who is, they could literally turn my father's ties into a beautiful quilt or a wall hanging. Um, and that way I could have my father's ties kind of repurposed in a way that would bring me joy instead of feeling burdened by having to keep ties in the form of a tie, if that makes sense. And when my kids were young, I could point to my father's ties and point out colors and have my children learn, you know, red versus blue versus purple when they were small. And then when they got older, I could talk about patterns and shapes and I could talk about circles and diamonds and I could talk about flowers. Then as they got older, even then I could tell them about the time, the moment, the occasion when I remember their grandfather wearing a certain tie. And so I think clothing and other items that we can certainly talk about can be used as a tool to open up dialogue. In my book, Past and Present, I devote an entire chapter to repurposing with purpose. And so whether or not it's clothing or whether or not it's jewelry or whether or not it's letters or postcards or like, what can you do with the items your loved one leaves behind to elevate how they can keep you connected? And I really appreciate what that example you gave of the tie is how you were able to match your children's developmental levels. Like you could use this as an opportunity to share with them about their grandfather in ways that they could understand where they were age and development wise. You know what? That's a really, uh, it's an important point. And I'll, I'll add one to it that I think is really, really um, crucial. 
A lot of people approach me after I give talks around the country and they say, how much do I share with my children? How much can I talk about a loved one who has died? How much is too much? And they get very concerned that if they talk about their loved one too often, that it's going to be upsetting or that um, they'll say something about the loved one that they may not be ready to hear or, or something like that. And here's what I say about that in terms of kids and what's developmentally appropriate. I equate it to a buffet. Imagine you're at a glorious party and there's this incredible buffet of just delicious food from left to right, back and front. The table is just overflowing with, you know, yummy treats to have. Now, when you're small, that is going to look very overwhelming. You're not going to know where to begin and you're just going to have to take something really small, right? Because your appetite is limited. It doesn't mean that you don't see the other options. It doesn't mean that you're hiding them from that child who's approached the buffet table. You're just giving them what they can handle at that time. And maybe it's just a little bit of food. And as they get older, they might try different types of food and they might take a little bit more on their plate and so on and so on. And so what I mean by that is, if you want to use that kind of imagery, is that when someone we love dies, you don't have to tell a young child everything. And that doesn't mean you're lying. It just means you're giving them information that's age appropriate. And as they get older, perhaps they can handle more and then more still as they get older and older into high school and then college. Yeah. And by just sharing consistently or continually, you've opened up that conversation. You've used these different great examples. You've shared with us about ways that you can make that an interactive experience for them. And then you can let kids' questions guide what you share and when as well. They know that opportunity exists. They're going to ask what they're curious about. Exactly. And if it's just very open-ended and it's very pliable, I think children will ask you questions when you least expect it. And that's what we want. We want them to feel like there's an avenue for getting information that they may need because what is relevant to a six-year-old is not going to be relevant to a 20-year-old. And the questions a 28-year-old may have before they get married is going to be different than what an eight-year-old has before they try out for Little League. And so these are definitely occasions to bring up age-appropriate memories and lessons and stories about loved ones who have died. Allison, in our last few moments together, can you share a little bit about how this, these practices of keeping these memories really present, how has that affected you personally in your grief? That is such a wonderful question, and it really relates to an essay that I wrote for Oh! The Oprah Magazine called The Reflection Effect. And what The Reflection Effect talks about, and this is a very personal journey for me, that after my parents died, like many people who are lucky to have loved ones in their life to console them after a loss, people really knew in those immediate days what to say to me. They knew how to support me. They knew how to love me. They knew how to show up, right? Because after someone dies, we generally know how to be there for someone. We know to go to a funeral. We maybe go to a wake. We may bring someone food. Like These things are kind of known and they're expected. 
What I found personally so hard um, in the years after my parents died is that support was mostly gone and that the remembering piece was up to me. The keeping my parents' memory alive, and not just for myself, but for my children who didn't get to know their grandparents, that work was mine and mine alone. No one was going to do that for me. And so it really related to there's this passive mourning stage, M-O-U-R, right? Mourning, grieving, this passive mourning stage. And then there's this active remembering stage. And to really accept that shift has been the single most healing practice that I have come up with. It's being proactive about keeping the memories of your loved ones alive and taking ownership of that process is what's wholly empowering. And it's really why I wrote um, the book, Past and Present, because in the book, there are 85 ideas for how to do just that. Because so often, like, what do we do to remember loved ones? You know, maybe we may, you know, light a candle or perhaps we'll go to a cemetery, but there's so much more fun that we can do. We can use all of our senses and we can use music and we can use food and we can go out into the garden and plant a memory garden. You know, that's another idea that I talk about in the book. And if we just have these ideas at our fingertips, then that proactivity piece, that pivot from passive mourning to active remembering, then it's easier. We just need to know what to do and then we need to do it. And that's the part that becomes that gel that keeps us connected to the loved ones who we miss so much. Well, Allison, I so appreciate you taking time out of your extremely busy life to talk with me and to talk with our listeners today and share all of these amazing ideas. Thank you for all the work that you do. I'm so impressed by uh, everything that you do. And I'm just, what a joy today to speak to you. Thank you so much. And listeners out there, I'm going to put a whole bunch of information in the show notes, ways to get to Allison's website, which includes some amazing question and answers that she does with people about their grief and the ways that they've actively kept those memories alive. And I'll link to the article in O Magazine and also how to find her amazing book, Past and Present. And listeners, thanks for tuning in today. You can find us on our website. You can find us in Stitcher, iTunes, anywhere else you get your podcasts. We appreciate you listening. Hope you'll join us again next time.